This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. So come with me this morning to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Could you put the lights on, fellas? All of them, those other... That's it, thank you. So 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll break into this story uh, regarding Elijah uh, from verse 11. This is after he had run away... uh, took flight from Jezebel and he ended up in Horeb and he said go out this is God speaking to him he said go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord this is verse 11 and behold the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said what are you doing here Elijah and he said I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword I alone am left and they seek to take my life the Lord said to him go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus and when you arrive anoint Hazael as king over Syria and you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you shall appoint as prophet in your place and it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael Jehu will kill and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu Elisha will kill yet I have reserved 7,000 Israel all those knees who have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him so he departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he was with the 12th then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Amen. Throughout the Bible and indeed throughout church history, uh, there always has been spiritual giants, men and women who towered above their contemporaries, who did mighty things for God. Patriarchs, prophets, apostles, people like Abraham, Moses, Joseph, and Samuel, and David, and Elijah, and Peter, and James, and John, and the apostle Paul. Great reformers like Luther and Calvin. Mighty evangelists like Wesley and Whitfield and Moody and Graham. Incredible preachers and pastors 
like C.H. Spurgeon and F.B. Meyer and Joseph Parker and C.H. Dodd and a host of many others. Now, the trouble is that those who succeeded these men, very rarely did they rise to the same heights. In fact, in all of these names I mentioned to you, you'd be hard-pressed to find even one person who came after them who were even very close to filling their shoes. Not one. These giants cast very long shadows, and often those who rose up behind them lived in their shadow and were overshadowed. However, as mighty as a national prophet that Elijah was, Elisha, his successor, had a ministry that was equal to, if not better than, greater than Elijah himself. Elisha was neither an echo or a clone of Elijah. He was his own man. Even though there's some similarities, but yet there is much difference in their two ministries. God raised up both these men to speak to the nation of Israel, particularly in a time whenever they had bowed the knee to Baal. Uh, Ahab the king and his queen Jezebel uh, were the two of the most wickedest people imaginable. And as we read there, they pulled down uh, anything that had to do with Jehovah. They killed the prophets, the true prophets of God with the sword. And they worshipped a most perverse god of Baal. And so God raised up these men. And Elijah, we know, had that great confrontation with the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. And his victory over them was legendary. And yet, in spite of that, Ahab and Jezebel were even more against Jehovah and the men and women of God in the nation. And it got to such a stage uh, that there was actually, in the whole land, there was only 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah was a fugitive at this point. He was on the run. He was wanted dead or alive by Jezebel. And the nation was steeped in idolatry of the most perverse kind. Now, in the midst of all of this, he's hiding in this cave. God speaks to him, and he instructs him to go and appoint Elisha as his successor in the land. And so today we're going to begin to delve into the ministry of Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha this tremendous prophet of God. And, and let's see if we can be encouraged and learn some lessons and be taught some things about this man's ministry. We too, you see, are living in a generation that has forgotten its godly roots, that has turned its back on God's precept and principles. We live in a nation that loves what God hates, that embraces what God rejects, and it's sad and it's tragic. We accommodate what God abominates and God hates it. And so all throughout these British Isles and Ireland, we see our society becoming more godless. And yet, in spite of that, thank God, we have more than 7,000 that has not bowed the knee to Baal. So the first thing I want us to consider here this morning regarding Elisha is his call. 
In chapter 19, verse 16 of 1 Kings, it says, And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Behola, you shall anoint as prophet in your stead. Elisha at this moment had absolutely no idea that he was going to be appointed a prophet in Elijah's stead. He was out doing his everyday job, working in the field. He was a farmer. He didn't know that God was speaking to the greatest prophet in the land and telling him to go and to appoint him to be his successor. God was working behind the scenes of his life and he didn't even know. And I find very often that's what it's like for us, that God's working behind the scenes in our lives. He's moving things around. He's talking maybe even to other people about us and we don't even know. There's a time, there's a moment when we will, but right now perhaps you don't even know that God is about to do something in your life. So we need to be... It's hard to prepare for that, but we need to be aware of it, that God is working behind the scenes of our lives every day, putting things in place, putting people in place, just to move us to where he wants us to be and to do what he wants us to do. A way over, and you don't have to turn to this, but a way over in the book of Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul speaking said, But it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Hallelujah. From even when he was from his mother's womb, God had a plan in place for him. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. And we've said many times how that God, even before we're born, has a plan and a purpose for our very lives. And here, Elisha is about to find out this call that God was going to initiate in him. And then we look at the commission in verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. That's his rough kind of cloak that he would wear, that he would wrap around himself. So he passed by, he threw his mantle on him. Elisha immediately knew what that meant. He didn't have to explain anything. Uh, Elisha was a godly man. God wouldn't have chosen him. He hadn't been a godly man. He was a godly man. He was a man that would be well acquainted with Scripture. He, he was a man that knew about the things of God. And here this great prophet, and you can be sure he knew Elijah. Everybody knew Elijah. And so when he passed by and he, he took that cloak off and put it around his shoulder, he knew exactly what that meant. Didn't need any explanation. He was now going to be appointed the prophet of God. He was being called into service. And there comes a moment when all of our lives, when God calls us into some kind of service. Obviously, none of us is going to be an Elisha or an Elijah. Uh, most of us will never have a, a, a service that is public, that the public will see. You know, not being a platform. You may not be a preacher, a pastor, a worship leader, or even a musician on the platform, but there's service that all of us are called into and will be called into that we can do for the kingdom. 
And there comes a point when that door opens for each of us. All we have to do is to be ready when that moment happens to walk through that door. Now here's this man, he had no formal training uh, at this point. He, he was not a, an associate of any other prophet or anything like that there. So he had no background training. But when the moment came, he knew exactly what it was he was called to do. He didn't at that moment know, of course, what the consequences would be. But he knew this was the call of God. He was now commissioned to do this. Look at the cost. It says there was 12 yoke of oxen. 12 men were plowing in the field. He was the 12th. That meant Shaphat, his father, was a man of means. That meant that this man had quite a large farm. He had many laborers working for him. So this was a big family business, could you say. And this would be Elisha's inheritance. He's actually out working the fields of his inheritance. And so he's not sitting at home letting everybody else work. He's out working in the fields of his inheritance. He's making sure when this is handed into him, it'll be in good shape. So he's out working in the fields. He was looking after his future inheritance. But at that moment, he was willing to lay all of that down for the sake of Jehovah. All of his inheritance all of his present wealth, and you can be sure his father was a, quite a wealthy man, but all of that at this moment didn't mean a thing to him. He was quite willing to lay all of that aside. C.T. Studd was a great cricketer. He came from a very wealthy family, but at one point when God called him into the mission field, he laid all of that fame and all of that fortune he laid it all aside because nothing was going to be more important than living for God and his kingdom. God may not ask us to lay down any of that, but you can be sure there's going to be a cost involved. Everything that God asks us to be involved in or to do, somewhere along the line, there is going to be a cost. Calling always involves a cost. But thank God it pays more than it costs but there's going to be a cost involved. For some, it may be a career. For others, it may be leaving hearth and home to serve overseas. For some, it's going to be giving up something. For some, it's going to be taking up something. For something, it's going to be laying something down. For others, it's going to be picking something up. But there's going to be a challenge, and there is going to be a cost. Jesus said that we're to take up our cross and we're to follow him. In Matthew chapter 10, if we just have a little look here. In verse 34, Jesus said, Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be of those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross 
and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. In October 1932, Gladys Aylward, who would become the famous missionary to China, movies was cast about her and books was written about her. Tremendous woman of God, great ministry. You ought to read her life story. But do you know that the morning she set off for China, she took a piece of paper and she scribbled a little note. She left it underneath her pillow for her mother to find when she was gone. Here's what it said on it. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Ah, cost, you see. It involves cost. Mark chapter 10. This is after Jesus had that uh, talk with the rich young ruler. You remember how he went away sorrowful because he had many riches. Verse 23 of Mark 10. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. There's a cost, isn't there? But thank God it pays more than it costs. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come eternal life, the many who are first will be last and the last first. And so there is going to be a cost involved with the call. But notice his commitment, verse 20. And he left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Now that would imply, would it not, that when Elijah threw his mantle over him, that he kept on walking. He didn't stop and beg and plead with this young man to follow him and to follow the call of God. He just threw over his mantle and he walked on. And Elijah had to pursue him. He had to run after him. He was going to have to pursue this call. He was going to have to run after this call. And you and I were going to have to pursue our callings, whatever they may be, great or little. We have to pursue it. We have to go after it. Remember Jesus one time, he made some hard sayings 
And out of that great multitude, they began to drift away. And he turned around to his disciples and says, will you also go away? <laughs> Once the crowd began to realize the cost of being a true follower, they began to drift away. Disciples, are you going to drift away too? Where else can we go, Lord? You've got alone, got the words of eternal life. Peter was sure right there, wasn't he? And so here is a commitment. If Elisha wanted this, he was going to have to pursue it. Later on in the story, we'll come to that as we next couple of weeks, but later on in the story, he remember he had to pursue that double blessing. In order to get that double blessing that he wanted, he had to pursue Elijah. Everywhere Elijah went, he was like a stick and plaster. He would not let him go because he knew Elijah was going to be taken and he was going to make sure he was there, that he was going to get that double blessing, but he had to pursue it with everything that was within him. In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, uh, again a familiar portion of Scripture. Paul speaking in verse 12 says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also lay hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But I press on. And I told you this little snippet before, but it bears repeating in the context of Elisha. But I press on, Paul said. And the word there is dioko. I press on. I pursue. I intently follow. I'm going to be zealous for this. There's an intensity with this pressing on. In fact, to make it more clear, in Galatians chapter 1, he uses the same word in a different context. In verse 13, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And the word persecutor is the same word dioko. In other words, to the degree and the intensity and the zealousness of trying to wipe out the church when he was Saul of Tarsus, which he tried to do, and he was very zealous. He, he, he was going to Damascus with papers to, to put men and women in prison. Such was his hatred and his zeal against Christianity. Now he says, that same zeal, that same intensity that I had for the wrong, I now have for the right. That intensity to do the wrong thing, I have that same intensity to do the right thing for God. I'm pursuing this just as I pursued Christians to destroy them. Now I'm pursuing the will of God to do it. And that's what God wants to see in our lives. That intensity, that zeal to pursue the will of God for our lives. He wants that commitment to be with us. Then see here his consideration. I'm sorry, I'm alliterating this morning. I don't always do that, but I am this morning. His consideration, verse 20, he said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother 
and then I will follow you. Now, he was considerate. He considered others. You see, whatever God calls us to, to do, it will not only affect us, but it will affect those around us, and particularly those of our household. It's inevitable. It certainly will. And as much as we have to do it, but we have to consider those around us. And here, Elisha was considering those around him. He wanted to do this. He was absolutely sure he was going to do this. He was zealous to do it. But he says, please, first, let me go and kiss my father and my mother. I don't just want to walk off with you right now and not go back home and tell them and talk to them about it. You see, this is going to be a big thing for his father and mother. It's going to be a big thing for his household. Consider that his father was leaving all of this farm to his son. This would be his inheritance. If he doesn't take it up, who's going to take it up? Now, there's many farmers in our land. Uh, and, and they've got sons and daughters who has absolutely no interest whatsoever in their farm. He doesn't want to be farmers. But that farmer's been in the, in the family for generations. But here is a new generation who doesn't want anything to do with it. They don't want to get up at five in the morning, milk cows, or whatever it is. But there's others who do. And they fully intend to follow in their fa father's footsteps and take on that farm. But what if something else came in where they couldn't do it? What's the father going to think? Who's going to look after the farm? This has been our family for generations. What's going to happen to it? We're going to have to sell it. And so he's considerate for others. Obeying the call of God will affect more than just you. It will affect those who are closest to you. So we need to consider that. It's not that we don't do it, but we need to consider it. Because they're in it with us. Whether they like to or not, they're going to be in it with us if we're going to do it, aren't they? Elijah, Elijah said... Go back again, for what have I done to you? Hmm. Some has thought, you know, Elijah was being dismissive. Elijah was kind of saying, uh, okay, go back, go back home. None of my business what you do. I gave you your chance. You want to go back? Fine, go back. I'm moving on. But Elijah wasn't saying that. Not at all. And Elisha wasn't like the young man in the New Testament that Jesus was calling to follow him. And he said, first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Come, follow me. Some thought Jesus was being a bit harsh there. But when he said, I want to go back and bury my father, that didn't mean his father had just died. Dear knows how many more years his father would have left before he died. For the young man just was not quite keen on going right now. Well, you know, if I go back and maybe my father live a few more years and we'll set our house in order, and then after all that, then I'll come and follow Jesus. Now let the dead bury their dead. You follow me right now. That was the challenge. But Elisha wasn't like that. He didn't say, let me go and bury my father. He said, let me go and kiss my mother and father. 
Let me just embrace them one more time. Because he knew, see, this was a dangerous thing. Elijah was a wanted man. He was under a death sentence. So to follow this man, to go with this man, he's risking his life. He didn't know if he'd ever see his parents ever again. So he says, let me just go and kiss. Let me go and embrace them. Let me just go and, and, and just have just a few moments. And Elisha says, well, what have I done to you? Uh, actually, whenever you read the New Living Translation, Here's what it says. Elisha said, go on back, but consider what I have done to you. In other words, yeah, go back and go say goodbye to your parents. That's fine. Go and do that. But consider what I've done to you today. Because don't be tempted when you go back to linger and to stay. Because the chances is the longer you stay, the more you'll want to stay and not take up this call. That's what Elijah was saying. Yeah, go back. But remember what we've done here today. Remember what I've done to you today. This is important. So when you go back, say your goodbyes, but then follow me. That's what he's really saying. And so, here we have this consideration. In 2 Timothy 2 and 4, Timothy talks about those who enter this warfare do not get entangled with the things of this life there's lots of legitimate things we have to do but that's different than getting entangled in it that we don't war the warfare that God wants us to be involved in and then here is his confirmation if you will in verse 21 how that he killed his yoke of oxen and, and he took his equipment and he made a fire with it. And then he threw a little feast for, his, for the workers and for his family. And so just that, it was like a, like a farewell do, would we say. And very often, you know, when people, particularly people who go into missions to go across the sea, and we know they're not going to be back for months or maybe years, we, we'll have a we do before they go, don't we? We send off party. And that's fine. That's all he was doing. On the face of it, but actually, by killing his oxen, by burning the equipment, he was confirming that this is what he was going to do. No way back from this. This is it. He's taken up the challenge, he's obeying the call, he's going to do it. The old song says, The cross before me, the word behind me, no turning back. No turning back. <laughs> Should no one join me, yet I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And so that, in effect, was him confirming the call. And whenever God challenges us to do something for his kingdom, we have to some way confirm that. It may be an action, it may be a word, it may be something we say or something we do, but in our hearts and the hearts of others, it confirms it. Then, verse 21, then he arose, followed Elijah, and became his servant. You should underline that, and became his 
servant. That seems like a little throwaway line, but actually it's not. For the next eight years, he was Elijah's servant. Before he was ever Elijah's successor, he was Elijah's servant for eight years. There was some training to be done. There were some experiences to be gained. There was some maturity to be had. And so, 2 Kings 3.11 says that he poured water on the hands of Elijah. So in other words, he served him in practical ways. Before he ever became a successor, he became a servant. And he did the menial tasks. Before they ate, he would pour water in Elijah's hands. Not that Elijah needed anybody to do that, but it was all part of the service and the training for the greater thing that was to come. I said the other week in a context of something else, if you ever want to be a leader, you've got to be a servant first. But you never stop being a servant. And if you're too big to be led, you're too little to lead. Did you hear me? And there's some people who's just too big to be led. <laughs> but then they're too little to lead. And God can't use them. So here he is. God was in no hurry. His hour would surely come. Meantime, lessons would be learned, experience would be gained. Until in the end, when he became Elijah's successor, not only did he succeed Elijah, but many would say he superseded Elijah. Twice as many miracles under his ministry than Elijah. So not only did he succeed him, he superseded him. He was his own man with his own call and his own path to walk. And all of that time, Elijah knew for God had spoken to him. He's his successor. And all of that time, Elisha humbled himself and served Elijah until God said, now is the hour, now is the time. And whenever Elisha, Elijah went up in the chariot of fire, as it were, who was standing there waiting to get that mantle to fall from to get that double portion? Elisha. He had been very patient. But now the mantle fell on him. And now he's got a double portion. And now he is the one that God has raised up to speak to the nation. And so over these next couple of weeks, we're going to look, maybe not all of the incidents, but we're going to look at some of the, the moments in Elisha's life and see what we can learn. All these things in the Old Testament are for our admonition. They really are. They're for us to learn from.
So let's hope that we can learn some things and be encouraged and be challenged and be strengthened by what we see and what we hear from the life. Title of the message is Following in the Footsteps of the Prophet. So that's what we're going to do for a couple of weeks. Just follow in the footsteps of the prophet and see what we can learn. Amen? Yeah, amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.